Well, it's good to see all y'all. Happy Mother's Day to you. If you're a mom, just raise your hand up. Let me see all your moms out there. Man, we are so glad you're here. I hope this is a great day for you. Thank you for all that you do. I'm David. I am the pastor. If you're a guest, we're glad you're here joining us for worship uh, today. We're in a series on marriage. And I thought, you know what, I've, I've been married almost 37 years. And I just want to give a little bit of advice to some of you younger guys, some of you guys that you know, maybe you're newer to marriage. Some of you guys are thinking about getting married. Maybe you're almost engaged, but your girlfriend hadn't told you yet or not. You don't know. And some of you other guys think, I'm never going to get married. But you might want this advice. Let me just tell you how this goes. I've been married almost 37 years. I think I got this down. So just listen. Listen to a man who knows what he's talking about. Okay, first of all, guys, here's what you realize. There are times in your life when your wife's going to get mad at you and you don't know why. Do not ask her why she's upset. You're supposed to already know that. That's going to add to the problem. Here's what you do. You just take your whooping and you just go on about like a man and it'll be over with before you know it. It's just the way it goes. Second thing I want to tell you is this. All of us guys have dishes that we love that our mama made. You know, my mom was a great cook. My wife's a good cook. Don't be wrong. My mom was a fantastic cook. And, and guys, here's what's going to happen. Your wife at some point is going to attempt to make one of your favorite dishes made by your mama. And when she does and she asks you, how is it, don't tell her it's not quite as good as the one mom make, okay? That's just dumb. I shouldn't even have to say that, but don't do this either. Don't tell her that it's better than your mom's because she'll know you're lying and you're just trying to patronize her. Here's what you tell her. You say, honey, it was great. I can't wait for you to make it again. And then you pray that she never does. That's what you do on that one. Okay, I never did that last part. I just want to make that clear uh, for obvious reasons today. But this is the one you need to realize. And guys, understand this. This is important. You will never load the dishwasher correctly, okay? You never will. You can watch your wife, and you can video it. And I'm speaking. My wife will tell you this truth. And you will never get it right, no matter what you do. And here's part of the reason why. Because, guys, we think that when it's time to load the dishwasher, the dishwasher is going to clean all the stuff off the dishes. So we put dirty dishes in the dishwasher. Your wife is going to clean the dishes first and put it in the dishwasher. And so that's a big difference because it's to this day. My, I'll load it. My wife will pull out this cup and says, what is all this? I'm like, honey, the, the cup's dirty. She goes, you've got to rinse the cup and wash it before you load it in the dishwasher. I'm thinking, then why do I got a dishwasher? I got you. That's kind of what I'm thinking. I didn't say that. I just thought that, you know. Marriage, marriage is, I didn't really think that, hun, but marriage is, I mean, <laughs> today it's just us from Mother's Day. I need to be careful how I wrap this thing up because I got to, you know, spend the rest of the day with her. So here's the thing, I don't, God, I look forward to it and put a change that, that way too. That hope is deeper every moment I go on, isn't it? Boy, uh, here's the thing, uh, marriage is a fantastic journey, and, but it, there's, it's, it can be messy at times. And so we're in this series entitled, I Do. Last week, we came to Genesis chapter 2, and we saw I Do for life, that marriage is supposed to be a lifelong commitment. And, you know, we, we live in a world, after Genesis 3, sin enters the world, sin distorts everything. But there is a, an objective in marriage found in Genesis 2, that a man and a woman will come together, live their life together, and they will complete and fulfill each other the way God intends. That should be our goal. Listen, I understand. I said it last week. I'll say it this week. 
we have a lot of family situations represented. We have people who, you know, have you know, what we would call a normal healthy marriage. We got people that are in your second marriage, maybe your third, it's a combination marriage. We got people that are single, single again. You got kids. We got people living with each other. We got some folks who are attracted to people of the same sex. We got all types of situations. Our goal, we cannot change the past. But our goal is to live from this point forward the way God intends a marriage to be. That's what Genesis 2 is all about. Live this way from this point forward. So today what we're going to do is we're going to come to an important part of married life, which is being in love. And we're coming to a message entitled, I Do Love You. And uh, from Genesis chapter 29, verse 9 and 20. And here we go. Starting off, Jacob, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. You got it? Laban's his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, a welcoming kiss, and lifted his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And so when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And then he related to Laban, that is Jacob, all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. And then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you, (laughs) that's a great line, than to some other man, so stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. So here's what I want you to see in this sermon today, and it's important as this. When you say, I do, you are saying, I love you, and no one else will ever have my affection and attention the same way as you. When you say, I do, when you get married, you say, I do. When you say those two magical words, what you're saying is, I love you, and no one else will ever have my attention my affection, my adoration, my love in the same way as you. So today I'm going to share a couple of things with you from this passage. And so the first thing I want to talk about uh, is who do you love? You know, that's, it's an important thing to understand. Who is it that you love? Uh, 1980 when I started in youth ministry, I started in ministry, I was a youth minister, and we would play this icebreaker called Who Do You Love? And the purpose was to get the kids to say the word, who do you love? But that's not what happened usually. You, you would go up and you would tell the kid, you know, Tell everybody here in the room, who do you love? And, you know, they would start listing people that they love until you finally said, no, just say these words. Who do you love? And, and the, the thing about this game, it was designed to embarrass them, to try to get them to reveal somebody maybe in the youth group or at their school that they were secretly in love with so you could kind of humiliate them. Because back then, youth ministry was about humiliating kids as an incentive to get them to come back to church again in the future. That's how we operated. We were very successful doing it that way, too. And, and, and so here's the thing. Who in life do you love? And, and we, we talk about falling in love with someone. That's it. But when you come to Scripture, there's an interesting thing. You don't see a lot of examples in Scripture of people really falling in love. In fact, romantic love, that is, the idea of falling in love, is rare in the Bible, and it is almost entirely missing in the New Testament. And the reason I say it's almost entirely missing, it is entirely missing, but someone might try to point out, try to do their best to find one little glitchy place that there is romantic love to prove me wrong. 
So I just say it's almost entirely missing. You don't find romantic love much in the Bible, but you do find it in the passage today. It's not that it's not important, it's just that's not the focus of Scripture. And so you come to the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob's a fascinating character. I mean, he is complicated and complex. He is, in the end, a man of God, one of the great heroes of, of, of Scripture, the great heroes of life. But you've got to understand, in many ways, early on at least, Jacob was not a likable person. You kind of look at Jacob and say, man, man I don't like you. I mean, I you know, look at him like, oh, man. And, and, and it's just the way he was. The book of Genesis is 50 chapters. Jacob is introduced in chapter 25. The rest of the book of, Jacob, of Genesis is the Jacob story. It's about his story. Now, there's also a large section about Joseph, but the importance of Joseph is how it's connected back to Jacob. And so when Genesis ends, here's what you have. You have the descendants of Abraham in Egypt. I mean, Jacob is about how do you get, I mean, Genesis is about how do you get Abraham's descendants, Jacob and his family, to Egypt. God made this promise to Jacob. You'll be a great nation. More importantly, all the world will be blessed through you. But that's going to got to get them to Egypt for that to happen. When you turn the page from Genesis to Exodus, they've been in Egypt 400 years. They're slaves, and God's going to deliver them out. So the story of Jacob is really the story of getting to Egypt. But he's this critical character. And there's so many flaws with Jacob, and there's so much intrigue into his story. When you, when you look at Jacob, Jacob and Esau were brothers. They were twin. Esau was the older. And, you know, Esau was big and burly, and, and Jacob is kind of studious. His name means to be the deceiver. Jacob, you know, kind of maneuvers Esau so that Esau, the eldest, sells his birthright to Jacob. The birthright is the privileges you get from being the oldest. Uh, and then Jacob just tricks and deceives Isaac into giving him Esau's blessing. So by now, Esau just hates Jacob. He wants to kill Jacob, and Rachel, you know, really loving her son, her baby boy, uh, convinces her husband Isaac, send Jacob back to where I came from because I don't want him marrying these Canaanite women. So Jacob is going to go back to his homeland. When all is said and done, he's going to have two wives and and each of their handmaids, and all of them are going to give him kids, and it's kind of a messy thing. And so to some degree, you may say, how does this really equate to a Genesis 2 marriage? Because it's all messed up. After Genesis 3, after sin comes into the world, there are no more marriages that match up perfectly to Genesis 2. God works with who he has. You realize that. Humans are flawed. Look around. All of you are flawed. I'm flawed. We're flawed. God works with us. And so in the Old Testament, especially because of certain situations and the dynamic of being a lot more women than men because of war and other reasons, God allowed, wasn't, it wasn't that he blessed it, he allowed sometimes there to be unique marriage situations. So a man may have more than one wife. But as long as his treatment of those wives, or as long as he didn't infringe upon someone else's wife, as Genesis 2 would say, then he would be okay. And so, you know, this is the story of Rachel, of, of Jacob, the son to be. A man's going to have two wives and two women who gave him sons, you know, in addition. But the story starts off that he goes back home uh, to find his uncle Laban, the brother of his mom, and he's out in the fields, and there are shepherds out there, and they, they are, they're belonging to Laban, and his, Laban has great wealth. And this woman walks up, and it's Rachel. And he sees Rachel, and he falls for her. And so there's a stone over the well to kind of keep it protected to where the sheep can be watered. And so he moves the stone aside, and, and Rachel comes and feeds her sheep, uh, drinks the sheep, drink water from it. And then she takes him home, and he sees his uncle Laban. And so they catch up. And so he's been there about a month, and Laban says, okay, if you're going to stay with me, what do you want your wages to be? He says, I want her. And he points to Rachel. I want that woman. I want to marry her. 
And so I'll spend seven years working for you to get the hand of your daughter. Now, here's the thing. Rachel wasn't his oldest daughter. It was Leah. Leah was the oldest. Rachel was the youngest. And that day, you tended to marry your kids off in order. And so when the time came for him to be married to Rachel, the wedding night, Laban tricked Jacob that the one whose name is deceitful, Jacob, was deceived by his uncle and gave him Leah. And then when he found out, he was angry. And here's the thing that it says about Leah and Rachel. It says Leah had weak eyes. Now, that, you know, we, we don't really know what that means. Anyone who tells you for sure, well, that weak eyes means this and there's no other alternative, eh, don't listen to them. It's, it's a difficult word to understand. It probably means, some, it probably means tender. And the best understanding is tender, soft. And so what it means is the features, as she looked at her eyes, was tender. In other words, she, she was probably more feminine than Rachel. Which you get here, and Rachel, it says, beautiful in form and face. She was robust, athletic, voluptuous, that kind of thing. You, you, have, you have an attractive feminine woman in Leah, and you have the more athletic woman in Rachel. Now, in different cultures, there's different things that men value, you know, in terms of a wife. And if you were a shepherd, someone like uh, Rachel would probably be more valuable as a, as a wife in that sense. So kind of think of it this way. Any of you watch The Big Bang Theory? You know, got one more episode and so over. Here's the deal. You do. You just don't admit it. Leah was like Bernadette, and Rachel was like Penny. Just think of it like that. That'll work for you. And, and, and there's nobody like Sheldon or Leonard. Those guys are, there's nobody that dorky. But anyways, they're like that. And so he wanted really to marry Rachel. So he, Laban said, take Leah, take for the week, then I'll give you Rachel and work seven more years. And he did it, and here's why. It says in verse 18 that Jacob loved Rachel. And then it says in verse 20 that the days went by quickly because he loved her. You see, he had fallen in love with her. That word love is kind of an an interesting word. It has a lot of variance to it, kind of like our word love tends to do. The, the, The word for love can mean to like something uh, like a thing or be strong in favor of a thing. For instance, it, it's used of Isaac in uh, Genesis 27 that he loved savoring meat. It's used in Psalms 32 of people loving evil. It can be used also of affections towards humans but not of falling in love. It says in Genesis 22, it's the word it's used when it speaks of Abraham loved Isaac. Leviticus 19, we're told to love our neighbors. It can mean that. But it can also mean that those people falling in love, like here. Uh, it's used of Hannah, the story of Hannah and Elkanah. Elkanah, uh, the husband of Hannah, First Samuel 1, it tells her, I love you. Uh, it, it is used in Esther, that King Xerxes fell in love with Esther. It's even used in a kind of a negative sense that Samson kept telling Delilah, I love you, Delilah, over and over. It's that, so it's the idea of falling in love. There is no New Testament equivalent, by the way. The closest we have is agape. So when marriage and love and marriage is referenced in the New Testament, the word is agape is used. So um, in Ephesians 5.22, it says husbands, I mean 5.25, it says husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. The idea then is of giving of self, of sacrificing. Same thing is really expected of women when it says in Ephesians 5.22, women submit yourself to your husband. In other words, it's the idea of putting the other first. It's the giving of yourself. Falling in love involves that sense of sacrifice. Now, there was a word in the Greek language that was the equivalent of this word. It's the word eros. We get our term erotic from it. But they didn't ever use it in the New Testament, most likely because they didn't want to take a word that had uses like lust and had uses that were of, per, of perverted nature. They wanted to take that word and to put it into the, the Greek text of, of what they wrote. So they never used it. So there is no New Testament equivalent, per se. 
But falling in love is, is seen here, and it happens in their life. And here's the interesting thing. It's the basis for Jacob wanting to marry Rachel. Now, what's odd is, in that day and age, in many cultures, even today in many cultures, falling in love is not the basis of marriage. Normally, marriages are arranged. You know, fathers arrange for their kids to be married, oftentimes to protect the children for different reasons, protect the woman. And so falling in love as the basis of marriage is kind of a fairly new thing. You know, people come to me and say they want to get married. I ask, do you love each other? Because, you know, in our culture, in our way, we understand the falling in love matters. But it also matters in Scripture. And so here's the thing. There are several pictures in the Old Testament of people falling in love. Rachel and Jacob... Uh, in the book of Ruth, Ruth and Boaz, so the word's not used, they obviously fall in love. Esther and King Xerxes, they fall in love. Hannah and Elkanah, they are in love. So here's the thing. Falling in love is biblical. It is. It's biblical. But you've got to reference it in light of Genesis 2, especially today in the New Testament era. You've got to take the idea of falling in love and put it within the, in, in the construction and in, in the confines of what God expects. And so what we're going to do today, the rest of this message today is we're going to talk about what it means, biblically speaking, of falling in love. And, you know, I, I, said, I recognize we have a lot of different situations. Whatever your situation is, married, single, whatever, take this, what I'm sharing with you from Scripture, and, and understand there are ways to use it in your life. And so I'm going to basically talk about three aspects or characteristics from a biblical perspective of falling in love. Uh, it comes from Genesis 2, it comes from this passage, and a few other examples in the Old Testament. So here's the thing. Falling in love involves sacrifice and selflessness. Sacrifice and selflessness. You give yourself to another person. There is the understanding you're going to no longer be selfish, but be sacrificing. All too often in the world we live in, when people talk about being in love, it is a very selfish kind of love. It is what you can get out of that relationship. It is what someone can bring to the relationship to benefit you, and it tends to be selfish. People who cheat on their spouse, people who have affairs, people who do a lot of things, it is a selfishness on their part. And sometimes they may say, well, you know, I couldn't help it, we fell in love. Doesn't matter. Once you say, I do, there is no one else for you. That rhymed, that's pretty good, I remember that. Once you say, I do, there is no one else for you. Write that down, guys, I'm going to use that later on. You, it is selfish of you to say, I'm going to leave you behind because there's someone else that I want. The idea of being in love and being married is it's a sacrificial relationship. That's what you see in the New Testament. It's a giving to the other person. So that you look and you see that, that Jacob sacrificed 14 years of his life working to get Rachel. When you come to the, the story of Ruth and, and Boaz... You know, Boaz, or Ruth, I should say, she sacrificed uh, her reputation to go be with Boaz. It was dangerous for her to go off the way she did to be with Boaz. If you don't know it, you've got to read the story. But she sacrificed, she risked her her reputation in order to be with Boaz. There was a sense of giving yourself over. I'm going to tell you this. In your marriage, or in your dating life, or whatever, it's not about what you get. It's about what you give. In Genesis 2... It said the two people come together to complete each other, to fulfill each other. You are completing them. You are giving of yourself to help bring that relationship and bring their life to completeness. And they are giving of themselves for you. It's about sacrifice. It's also, secondly, about tenderness and kindness. If you can't be kind to the person you're in love with, who will you ever be kind to? 
I mean, think about it. I mean, in 1 Samuel, Hannah was upset because she couldn't have children. Elkanah dealt with her, her husband, tenderly, with kindness. When Rachel came to the rock, in kindness, Jacob rolled it away. And there, there was a sense of you treat someone tenderly. In fact, if you go to Gen- uh, Galatians, and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5, peace, love, joy, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The idea of treating someone that way. A home should never be a place where there's harshness or violence or anyone ever feel like their life is ever threatened. Yeah, let, me, let me tell you something. Some of you are dating or you're thinking about dating someone or you may date someone. If the person you're dating, you're engaged to, whatever, does not treat you with kindness, listen to me. Kick their sorry rear end to the curb and never look back. And I mean that. If they're not going to treat you with kindness, why would you get into that relationship? Now, if you're already married, that's a different thing. You may have to get some counseling or whatever. But listen, you treat people with kindness, especially the person you're married to. How are you not tender towards the person you love? And part of that kindness involves forgiveness. You've got to be willing to forgive. You cannot keep bringing up the past. Now, if you've got to deal with some issue from the past, deal with it and get it over with. I remember having a couple uh, come visit me, and they were struggling. <laughs> and he had done something in the past, something stupid or whatever. And, and he, he said, you can't, he, he was, they were talking, he said, looked at her and said, but you keep bringing this up. And she looked at him and said, because you did it. And I said, time out. <laughs> I understand he did it. But are you ever going to forgive him for it? Because if you're going to forgive him for it, you've got to let it go. And if you're not going to forgive him for it, then let him go and get on with your life. You've got to learn to forgive the people you love. That is part of what kindness, mercy, tenderness, love is. So here's the thing. You need to look at the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, and you need to be kind to them and tender in dealing with them. Because you're spending your life with them, and that kindness and that tenderness is critical. Because here's the thing. If you don't have kindness, if you don't have tenderness to your spouse, it'll never happen to your children. In your home life, it's going to be miserable. There's no place worse than a home full of tension and anger and bitterness and resentment. And the third thing is this. You need to be a home of affection and attention. If you love someone, you have to be affectionate. You have to give them the attention they need. Now, let me say to you, guys, listen, you've got to understand this. And I'm no expert on this, I, I realize, but, but <laughs> spend time with the person you love. Give them the affection they need. Look, look, at, look at Jacob spent 14 years working for Rachel. He didn't care. He was with her. That's all that mattered. Verse 20 said, the, days went, but the years went by like days. Why? Because he loved her. He was with her. To spend the time with them. So important. Here's the thing. Guys, there should never be, once once you're in love, once you have that woman, there should never be another woman that ever gets your attention, your affection, or your time, but your wife. It's the only one. That's what I do means. She's the only one, guys. You may have to work with someone. I get that. You may have to do some other things with some people sometimes. I get that. But no other woman 
ever get your attention or your affection. If they do, you're messing up big time. And you're dead solid wrong. And women, let me tell you this. No other man should ever get your respect and your adoration like your husband. Don't compare your husband to other men. And don't compare him to your father. Man, I know your father's the greatest and you compare every man to him. But if you go to your mother, you'll find out your father isn't what he's cut out to be. That's true. And here's the thing about guys. Guys, we have these egos, women. And if you don't give us your respect... If you don't even give us that adoration, it crushes us. It does. It's just the way we're wired. Guys, women need your affection. They, I understand. I come from the school, and I get this. If you tell your wife, honey, when we got married, I said, I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. You know? <laughs> that doesn't work, guys. Your wife needs to hear you tell her you love her. And men, women, men need to know that you respect them and you cherish them. When you're in love, that's what happens. And if you don't get that right, you're messing up. you got problems. And sooner or those later, those problems are going to hurt your relationship. Falling in love is one of the great things of life. But you've got to do it the way that God wants it done. And even though there's no place in the New Testament that shows us, there are places in the Old Testament. And here you have one of them. So here, understand this. Falling in love is not an excuse for two people to do what they choose. That's what our world says. Ah, two people fall in love. They can do whatever they want. No, 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 no. It is an opportunity and an obligation for a man and a woman to live in a way that honors God and fulfills Genesis 2. Look at this. When you fall in love, it's not an excuse just to do whatever you want. That's the world's view of love. That ain't going to work. It's an opportunity for you, an obligation for you to spend your life, men with the women and women with the man, spend your life with someone first to honor God and then take Genesis 2 as your model you go to the, the Bible, you take Genesis 2, and to do that, that's what falling in love is all about. And to do that, you need to sacrifice, you need to show kindness, you need to show affection. That's what it means to be in love. You need to love like Jacob loved Rachel. That's what you need to do. Now listen, you look, Rachel and Jacob, their life was, was a mess. It really was. And that whole story, in so many ways, was a mess. It really was. But when you get to the end of it, this is what you know. When you read all of that and see all of that, this is what you know. You know that Jacob loved her the way a man and a woman are supposed to be in love. Some of you today... You need to look at your relationships. And you need to think about that person. You need to look and say, am I showing them love the way Jacob showed Rachel? Is, is, there, that, is there that sacrifice in your life? Are you, are, are you being selfish? 
Or can you truly say when it comes to my marriage and my family, I am selfless, I am sacrificing? Is there, listen, in, with the person you love, is there kindness? Or are you harsh and sometimes unforgiving? And is there the affection, that sense of attention and adoration that is so normal and expected in two people that love each other? Or are you out doing things with people other than your spouse, giving them the time that belongs to someone else? Some of you today on an invitation, you may need to come and just talk with someone and pray with someone. And we're going to be here at the front. And listen, ladies, we understand you may have, when it comes to marriage especially, you may not want to talk to one of us. So there'll be, there'll be another person, there'll be a female up here, a lady. If you want to talk to them, you can. If you want to, if you're in the back that want to come forward, there'll be someone over here in the back corner. You can go and talk with them as well, male and female. Listen, talk or pray, whatever. But sometimes you just need to talk to someone and just need someone to pray with you. So maybe that's what you need to do today. Some of you, maybe what you need to do is just talk to the Lord and say, you know, I need... I need to really up my game. I need to recommit myself to the person I love and just show them that affection, show them the kindness, show them the selflessness that they should have and give that to them. So maybe today you just want to say, Lord, help me just be like Jacob was to Rachel and to Rachel was to Jacob. Let me have that, that kind of love. And I don't know, I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't preach an evangelistic message, but maybe you just need to give your life to Christ today. But I always want to give you the opportunity to do that. You can come give your life to Christ. Maybe you don't want to come talk to one of us, but you can, listen, you can take a, those cards there and you can write on there, I need to talk to one of you guys uh, about my life and put it in the offering plate. After the service, you go out those doors to the left, there's a table, one of the pastors will be over there. You know, and so I don't know what you need to do. It's just one of those messages where I can't really tell you what to do. But this is what I will say to you. When you walk out of this place today, if you're married or if you're in love, or you're going to think about being in love, or whatever your situation is going to be, be sure you this. The person you're in love with, be sure you love them like Jacob loved Rachel. Lord, we thank you so much for your great love to us. The love that you give us, the love that you show us, the love that we experience and Father, we know that part of being human is to fall in love with someone. So help us to love in a way that is selfless, in a way that is tender, kind. Father, to love in a way that shows affection and gives attention to the person we love. God, help us in life to love you. Help us to love one another. And God, with that one person in our life, help us to love them like Jacob loved Rachel. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. If you need to come forward, we'll be here. You stand up.